This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Joseph Uberti, medical oncologist and interim president and CEO of Caramanos Cancer Institute. Dr. Uberti, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Well, thank you, Laura, very much. It's my pleasure being uh, ability to talk to you a bit today about the things about medical healthcare. Well, fantastic. I know we've got a lot to talk about. There's so much happening in healthcare space and especially thinking about oncology. But before we dive in, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background? Sure. So I'm formally trained as a medical oncologist, and most of my uh, clinical research and my clinical activity has been in the area of bone marrow transplantation and other cellular therapy called CAR T-cell therapy. This is a therapy we use mostly for treatment of many hematologic malignancies, and it's often the only curative therapy for our patients. So that's where I spend most of my clinical time in terms of my patient care responsibilities and research that goes on, uh, putting patients on clinical trials, trying to devise new patient uh, therapies that can help our patients get through this. You know, most recently I was asked to serve as the interim CEO of the hospital and our healthcare organization as we uh, go through some transitions here uh, for our Carmanos Cancer Center. So we are a uh, standalone cancer hospital, one of only 12 or 13 in the country, where we just see cancer patients. So all of our physicians only see cancer patients, uh, our nurses, our support staff, and everybody with that works here is dedicated to treating patients with cancer. So it's uh, one of only 13 uh, standalone cancer hospitals in the country. We also are one of uh, 52 comprehensive cancer centers in the country that has been designated by the National Cancer Institute because of our ability to do clinical trials, research, and provide the most unique and innovative cancer care for patients in this area. So we're very proud of what we do here. Uh, all of our resources, all of our thinking is how to improve the outcome of patients with cancer. Absolutely. And I know that's such an important thing. There's so many people out there who are affected by cancer, whether it's themselves or their family members and loved ones. And so I can imagine that there's just so much um, out there that needs to be done, but also some exciting therapies and, and treatments um, that are along the way. So, you know, when you think about where we're at right now, what are some of the biggest issues that you're following in healthcare for this year? You know, I think the biggest issues is still our recovery from what happened with COVID. You know, when COVID started and it really affected every hospital in the country in so many different ways, and I think we're still recovering from that. You know, it was, uh, it was a very intense treatment regimen. Patients came in before we had much knowledge of the disease, and it put a lot of stress on our nurses, our physicians, and everybody involved in treating these type of patients. And it affected all types of therapy for our patients and other patients around the country. And I think what happened with the COVID experience, it put a lot of stress on our practitioners, stress on the patients who are coming in to see us, and we're still recovering from that. And I, I think that's where we are at this point. You know, some of the issues that have happened, just as an example, we have, for a lot of different reasons, there was a fair amount of burnout of physicians and nurses and we're trying to recover and have uh, to replenish the resources we have for nurses, as an example. Most hospitals have nursing shortages because of burnout of nurses, and we have to get that back up uh, 
to provide the best care we have for our patients. So I think our, our biggest issue is recovering from the COVID and the disruption it did in our whole healthcare system. I think we are getting there slowly, but it hasn't come without some difficult choices we have to make along the way. So I think that's what one of our bigger issues are. I think it's also put a stress on our ability to provide care in an effective manner as well, because there are shortages, not only of nurses, but of therapy we have to administer. There's always a shortage of various chemotherapies, as an example, in my area of cancer. Uh, it's been difficult to get patients sometimes the best chemotherapy. So I think it has been a long recovery after the COVID issues that have plagued us for many years. So that's, we're slowly getting better with treating COVID. We're slowly improving uh, the influence of COVID on our patients with the vaccines and other therapies. And I think that has been a long recovery since the COVID pandemic occurred. Absolutely. I think that makes a lot of sense. And definitely, I know a lot of hospitals and healthcare organizations are really seeing a lot of the similar issues in terms of stresses from the pandemic and, and disruptions are continuing to plague their organizations and their patients as they're trying to recover and figure out what uh, success will look like going forward. Now, you know, there's a lot happening, as you mentioned, in 2023 and beyond. So what are you most excited about? And is there anything that makes you nervous? Well, I think I'm most excited, at least in terms of cancer therapy, is the great therapies we're developing and new clinical trials we're developing to help diagnose cancers, to help treat cancers, and to help provide patients with some very good therapies for cancers. There are all sorts of immunotherapies that are now becoming more and more available for cancer patients. There are all sorts of diagnostic procedures that we can do to help us diagnose cancers earlier and provide better outcomes with our patients. And there's all sorts of supportive care things that are coming to the forefront of treating patients with cancer. So I think that's an important area of cancer therapy that we're going through right now. I think one of the difficult things we have with all these breakthroughs is that they're very expensive for all of us. Patients have to pay sometimes a tremendous amount of their resources for some of this therapy some of it isn't covered, covered by insurance, but some of it isn't covered. As an example, we've switched over many of our very good cancer therapies to oral medications. And although this makes it far more convenient for our patients to get treated for their cancer by taking oral medications, their out-of-cost pocket expense is much higher for these oral medications with these co-pays as compared uh, to when we could give these therapies through an IV infusion, as an example and that has placed a tremendous financial burden on patients to try to get this best therapy for their cancer, which can help the disease, shrink the disease, and perhaps cure them of the disease, but it comes at a fairly significant financial cost to the patient. So I think we have to find ways to minimize some of the economic burden uh, and toxicities that cancer care has caused in our patient population as we move forward. We have to find a way of making it equitable for patients to get this therapy, to not have them worry about how they're gonna pay for their next oral medications that are helping cure them of their cancer. And those are difficult things that we have to face as a society to see what we can do to, to maintain that ability to allow patients to get the best care without being such a financial burden on them. So again, we have great therapies available for many of our patients, many of which we've never had before. 
and we're curing patients we've never had the ability to do so than in the past. But still, it has cost, come at a very significant financial cost to us, and we have to find a way of, of regulating that a bit so patients can get this therapy without having worrying how, how they're paying for it. Absolutely. I think that's a really great point. And definitely, you know, in terms of looking at the, the pay structure, it, it seems like it certainly is a barrier for um, potentially for a good many patients. When you look out and think about, you know, all the different efforts underway to try to make sure there's health equity and access to care, and especially um, for cancer patients, is there any organizations or efforts underway that you think are um, you know, have potential to make progress in that respect or really um, ideas, I guess, that can help uh, bridge that gap between the cost of some of these treatments and, and the ability to pay? Well, certainly that's, that's you know, a hard question to give you a, a specific answer for, but certainly we're trying to do things. I think, you know, one of the things to make sure everybody has adequate insurance as best they can as they go through this type of therapy. I think we have to find ways to pay for some more of our therapies in a little bit better fashion. And how are you going to accomplish that is a difficult thing. You know, I think everybody's looking at ways to cut, you know, care, cut the cost of medical care, which has become so tremendously expensive. And how do we do that? I think it takes uh, a lot of, com com you know, helpful interactions between the government, between healthcare organizations, between insurance companies, between drug companies that sell us these expensive medications to find a way to make it uh, equitable for everybody. I mean, certainly our drug costs are spiraling out of control. And I understand that the companies that are developing these drugs need to recap their, their research costs that go into these. But we have to find a way of cutting down how much these drugs cost by the time they make it to our patient populations. Now, I was just talking to one of my patients yesterday. He's on an oral medication that's keeping his disease under control. But the oral medication costs $26,000 a month, and he's been on it for a number of years. And, you know, if he has a 10% copay, that doesn't sound like much, but it's $2,600 he has to copay for that medication every month. So we have to find a way of allowing patients to get these medications in a much easier manner in, the, in terms of the economy and the how much they have to pay for it. You know. It's difficult because obviously the government has cost restraints. They're looking for ways to cut the cost of medical care because it's spiraling almost out of control right now. So that's what makes it really difficult. So there are organizations that are helping us move through that type of change in the way insurance pays for things. We lobby Congress. We lobby the drug companies. We lobby everyone involved in this. We lobby the insurance companies to try to find more equitable ways and easier ways to have this paid for uh, prevent the patients ha from having such financial burden as they go through this. Now, these are all great therapies we're developing now. They really help patients a lot, but they've also become, as I mentioned, very expensive for the patients, the organizations, the health insurances. So how do we make that equitable? I think that's a difficult thing to answer right now. But we certainly have to try and continue to find ways to help our patients get through this. That's really helpful to know and think about and really to understand uh, 
what the different stakeholders are thinking about in moving through some of these big challenges and issues. Now, as healthcare evolves, what are some of the most effective healthcare leaders doing and what will they need to do to be successful over the next two to three years? Well, I think what we're going to see perhaps is more mergers of hospital organizations. And I think that that allows us to work on economy of scales. So I think what's going to, that'll, that process is ongoing in many states, as it is in our state. And by merging, you know, you can have some economy of scale, which cut down, cuts down some of the costs. I think we have to use some of those improvement in our cost structures to pay our nurses more. I think that's been a chronically understaffed and underpaid service. And we have to find ways of improving their salary structure and find ways to allow the hospitals and hospital organizations to find ways to uh, help that get through their system. I think that's one of the major issues we're facing right now, especially in terms of patient care, is how do we pay our healthcare professional, professionals adequately to have them maintain their, their jobs? You know, many nurses are becoming burned out. Many nurses uh, are going from hospital to hospital for better pay and we have to find a way of helping them get appropriate pay uh, and keep them in their jobs and keep them feel like they're part of the organizations to help in our patient care aspects. And I think part of that will be more and more mergers we're going to see. Obviously, every hospital has to look at ways of cutting costs. And it's very difficult, you know, with the inflation that's ongoing, you know, how do we keep our costs down when people look at their salaries and say, I'm getting paid less and less because of the inflation issues occurring. So we have to find a way to help those patients, those nurses and support staff that help work with us to get better pay uh, in a way that's equitable for our organizations that work through this. That's a really excellent point. And I, I know is a big problem and challenge that a lot of organizations are facing in terms of thinking about how they can, you know, make sure they've got staff in the right place amid shortages and in, in payments and in what that you know, entails for their organization. So um, definitely helpful to understand what it will take to really be a leader there um, and, and do things the right way. Now, I'm wondering too for yourself, as a practicing clinician and researcher, how does your daily interaction with patients inform your leadership style and your strategic priorities for the organization? Well, I always tell everyone, and what I try to remember is that our patients are the number one priority we have to focus in on. We have to ensure that they're getting the appropriate therapy, they're getting the best therapy. We have to ensure that they feel comfortable with the therapy we're providing them and realize we're, we're working in their best interest. And I think what we have to do is give them hope. We have to give them hope that we can help them with their diseases. You know, many of our patients, we can't cure them, but we have to give them hope that we'll keep their disease under control as much as, they can, as we can. We have to give them hope that there's things we can do to control their pain if that's an issue. And I think we have to provide hope within our entire organizations that our goal is to keep our patients as safe and as well cared for as possible. You know, we do research, we do teaching, but really the primary function of us is to provide the best patient care we have. And I think that's one of the, the linchpins of our organization is how do we provide the best care for patients with cancer? You know, we're part of a, a larger healthcare organization throughout the state of Michigan, and we provide cancer care throughout the McLaren organization in the state of Michigan. 
we have oversight over that. We try to do our uh, provide standards of care over the entire organization and make sure that everybody throughout the state of Michigan, regardless of whether they're close to our central campus or in some outlying rural areas, gets all the best care that we have and to make sure that their unique uh, therapies we have are available to them. If there are clinical trials that can be available to them that may provide drugs to them that aren't available yet, uh, that's what we have to strive to achieve. I think that makes a lot of sense, you know, and it's really inspiring to look at it and think about where, um, you know, organizations are headed and, and what possibilities there are out there for, uh, you know, the treatments and therapies for cancer care. Uh, and along those lines, why is being a national leader in clinical trials critically important to the future of cancer treatment? And why is it uh, an important point of distinction compared to other cancer centers? Well, I think that, the, you know, when we talk to patients about cancer, very often, since, we, since there are many cancers we don't cure, the best treatment for them may be a clinical trial because we have to find new ways to treat these cancers. And the best way to do that is to enroll patients on clinical trials to try new investigative type therapies to try to bring their cancer under control with the potential for cure. And that's the only way we can move forward in cancer therapy. We have to have the evidence-based procedures that show that this is the best therapy for patients. And we get that sort of evidence as putting patients on clinical trials. It's a difficult thing. It's a long, involved process. But very often, it is the best therapy that we can provide for patients. And by putting patients on these trials, we can get better therapy for them. We can improve the outcome of cancer patients. We can bring their diseases under control when we do it in a well studied scientific manner to try to see uh, what therapy is best for them. And these are best done under clinical trials. So we have a very large clinical trial network that's set up to provide all the support we need to put patients on clinical trials. This allows us to get drugs before they're commercially available for patients who have no better treatment to see if we have some new investigational therapies that may help them in terms of their treatment regimens. We've seen some tremendously effective responses to patients who are in clinical trials with some of the new immunotherapy that's available to us. And it's quite satisfying to see patients who've had excellent responses, they're living longer, some of them are cured of their underlying disease, and some of these come through enrollment on clinical trials. So that's why it's so important. You know, we try to think of the best way to treat patients and again, if we don't have curative therapy for the patients, sometimes the best way to treat them is through a clinical trial because that provides more evidence to decide how better to treat these patients. That's fantastic to hear and what an inspiring note to end on. Dr. Uberti, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been a really fun conversation and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Okay, well, thank you very much.